Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 31st episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, uh, talk about our world of financial planning and financial markets um, and news uh, and research from the past week that caught our eyes. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. So we're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday, January 28th, because we are going to be traveling for work the rest of the week, and it's going to be difficult to try to coordinate bringing the podcast stuff with us. So Yeah, with this calendar, it's going to be a little rough. But still plenty of things to talk about this week um, since we last recorded on Thursday, I think. So we don't have any shortage of uh, information for people, I think. No, we don't. And then uh, heads up, we have my furry friend um, in the (laughs) recording room with us, uh, my dog, Louie. He is here. And so if you hear a bone, a crackling, um, that is the pooch. Yep. He's happily sitting here. Living uh, his best life. Chewing on his bone. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so running through uh, the numbers year to date for the major indexes that we track, um, the data is from stockcharts.com, and these numbers are as of the market close on January 27th. So the S&P 500 index up 0.4% for the year. The Dow uh, is flat for the year. The NASDAQ composite index up 1.86% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is down 1.3% for the year. Uh, The international index, ex-United States, down 1.28% for the year. The three-month T-bill currently yielding 1.55%, the two-year treasury yielding 1.44%, and the 10-year yielding 1.61%. So a little bit of a flight to safety here, Matt, with uh, yields on uh, the major government uh, bonds and bills uh, coming down a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, no surprise given some of what I would call the geopolitical stuff that, you know, was unexpected. And this time it happens to be a virus that's moving through East Asia. Yeah, which we have some more some more data on that we can we can talk about here uh, in a second. Um, so actually, yeah, let's just jump right into that uh, off of that point, Matt. So last Friday, um, obviously, um, the coronavirus has been in the news headlines over the past week. And um, last Friday, UK researchers, Matt, I saw came out and estimated that 250,000 people in Wuhan will have coronavirus in 13 days. Um, So the news doesn't seem to be getting much better surrounding this. And again, um, this could provide some short-term weakness in the market due to people thinking it'll affect the larger uh, global economy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we both agree that Bespoke summarized uh, this um, by the following note here. Um, They say, quote, coronavirus is already impacting activity in China in a big way. So it's no surprise that stocks got hit the hardest in Asia and emerging markets this week. While this certainly will take some time to play out, it's a one-time event that the world will eventually recover from. We see no need to shift any type of long-term investment strategy from this, so keep that in mind if you start to feel that temptation to sell. Perfectly said. And then I would also throw out there, I read last night, I know you saw it too, uh, Brad McMillan, 
um, who is the CIO of Commonwealth, also had a blog post with, I would say, a similar message. Would yeah. you agree? No, I agree with that. I think it's just one of those things that, you know, it could be scary um, on the onset of it. But again, I think that there's, um, you know, and again, this is just my opinion. There's more panic over it than than there needs to be. And we just need to stop and take a breath for a second and see what it really means. And um, I just I don't think it's going to uh, have a large effect on on the markets going forward. I agree. So big week for earnings reports this week, Matt, as we kind of highlighted last week. So um, the heavy hitter tonight, obviously, is Apple reporting after the closing bell tonight. Correct. Um, so I think, uh, you know, more names this week are Amazon. Thursday. Um, semiconductors are reporting this week like AMD. So um, people will be paying attention to that closely uh, since those uh, tend to be the names that most people uh, focus on with regards to growth in uh, the U.S. markets, I think. Yeah, I think that um, if you have the potential spread of the virus to other parts of the world um, not really be that dramatic, which uh, I think for me is my baseline case, I think the focus could at some point start to come back to the fundamentals on some of these stocks. Um, I think that would be the most likely case um, for the for the at least the stock market. So I think some of these reports coming this week could help bring that focus back to individual names, their fundamentals, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And we've been, we've been, everyone's been waiting, waiting, waiting for that pullback in the U.S. markets, right? That Oh yeah. Hey, that's a good reminder from our podcast last week because we talked about it. Now that the pullback has come, we Mark, have an excuse. Are they going to pull the trigger and buy? buy? But they can't, right? Because they don't know it could get worse. Could this get could worse. be the beginning. Right. And then it's going to be. I'm just tongue in cheek three, four weeks from now. And if it does play out in an example where the market does go higher, then what do they do? Yeah, then they miss out again. Not uh, to say it's guaranteed to go up, obviously. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, last bit of news um, from this week is the Fed's meeting tomorrow, I believe, Matt. And we don't expect any change in monetary policy going forward. Excuse me. That, I would agree. I don't expect much change from the Fed uh, when they make that announcement tomorrow afternoon. It's around, uh, is it 2 or 2.15? Yep. Uh, I don't expect much change in monetary policy. Okay. Uh, so moving on to uh, tweets, articles, and research from the week that caught our eyes. We have a good bit of info for everyone today. So Matt, do you want to start first. off? So there was a note uh, from Bespoke Investment Research, and they said as of last Friday, so far... 69.1% of companies that have reported earnings uh, this season have beat their earnings per share estimates, while 62.4% have beaten top line revenue estimates. And this is just a little bit above, in my opinion, average from historical um, beats of expectations from the street. So I would categorize this earnings season so far as good. Good, yeah, normal. Normal, normal. slash a little bit positive. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'll let you, I'll send it back to you for the next one. Um, so uh, Bespoke also had a note on um, the updated weighting of technology 
in the S&P 500 index. I saw this one. I think this is going to be an eye opener for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So um, back on when they wrote this note on January 24th, technology's weight in the S&P 500 has moved all the way up to 24.2%, which is over 10%, uh, 10 percentage points, excuse me, larger than healthcare, the next biggest sector. Um, so as tax weightings have risen, sectors like consumer discretionary and industrials are now no longer uh, making up 10% of the index. And I know I understand why people are freaking out about this, Matt, because where they think back to the tech bubble yeah, in, in yeah, 2000. 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's one of those things where our economy is evolving and changing and we're more dependent now on technology than we ever have been in the past and not so much as on industrials. Um you know, like we were a decade ago. I don't disagree with that statement. So I don't think this is, uh, this should be too alarming to most people because, you know, of how dependent we are on on technology in our uh, everyday lives today. The other thing I'll kind of throw out there is if you look at the balance sheets of some of these uh, mega cap tech names and you compare those balance sheets to the ones from the late 90s, I think you're going to see dramatic differences right, in cash levels, Mm -hmm. earnings as they are today, debt levels. And um, are there tech names out there that are not profitable today that are losing money? Yes, of course. But I think when you look at the mega cap names, the largest weights within that technology sector, I could make a valid argument that their balance sheets and their outlooks are very different from the late 90s. Yeah. I just yeah. want to throw that point out there. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That'd be fun. Maybe we can get someone on here that has the opposite the opposite view and I destroy have, a, have a little <laughs> have a little debate. That'd be fun. <laughs> be fun. Uh, moving on. I shouldn't um, be that uh, yeah. <laughs> that positive about that. I apologize. No, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. Uh, a quote from, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Tadas Visconta um, and his blog, Abnormal Returns. And this was from a blog post on January 19th. And I just thought this was a cool little, uh, little quote that kind of confirms that we're not the only people that think this about predictions, Matt, but uh, quote, nobody knows with certainty what is going to happen in the stock market, presidential election, or the coming Super Bowl. All we can do is position ourselves so that the worst case scenario is one we can survive so that we can keep moving forward. And we've talked about this before, about being able to keep coming back and playing the game every single day and not ruining your capital um, from not being positioned properly. I, yeah, I think it's a so great I quote. just thought that that was a good quote that, um, you know, also shows listeners that mean you aren't crazy. We're not the only people thinking this. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I mean, and you know, where this comes into play is just because you have a friend or family member that made buco bucks and XYZ stock doesn't mean that that stock is right for you and your family. Right. You know, um, I think really at the end of the day, taking a consistent, disciplined approach to investing where um, you have a longer term focus in mind, you know, I think that's where people's heads need to be, uh, not on chasing the next hot thing or, you know, every year it changes. What's the hot sector? Um, yeah, the, so, the weed stocks of the world, the bitcoins of the world, you know, cryptocurrencies before it was energy and then it was the miners back. You know, it's just there's kind of a fad always constantly. Right. And I just am cautioning you know, listeners that when those fads come along, not to say you can't dip your toe, but 
they should be you should be extremely cautious right right and the thing that we always see i feel like is you know people always like hey my friend made so much money on bitcoin or xyz marijuana company but then they never tell them about the losses or from what you know the drawdown from peak to trough you know what has happened then so i you know people have a skewed skewed view of that nope i agree um, um, I got one, Mark. Yeah. Um, this was a chart from Charles Schwab and FactSet on January 21st. And it's a chart of world epidemics and the global stock market performance over overlaying that. And uh, this is going to be a chart that is going to be posted to the show notes. Mm-hmm. So, um, listeners, if you go to um, jessupwealthmanagement.com, if you hover over the podcast tab, you're going to see under show notes is going to be this chart that I'm going to be discussing. And it shows the MSCI World uh, Stock Index going back to roughly mark the beginning of 1970. And then what it does is it shows points of when different um, epidemics have started. And I'm going to give the listeners just a couple examples of some of the name brand ones are going to recognize. So it's going to be things like SARS, um, swine flu, Ebola, uh, the measles outbreak, um, HIV AIDS, it goes through and there's a list of them, right? SARS, again, it was the biggie that people are providing an analogy for now right. that happened in 02. But if you kind of look at these different times they've had, and you'll see it on this chart, listeners, if you pull this up, these things tend to have minimal impact um, on the stock market. Um, and it's not to say that this time could not be uh, could be different because it could, right? But on this chart, when you average all this out, one month after the outbreak uh, was publicized, on average, going back uh, to 1970, the average performance of the MSCI World Stock Index one month after was up 0.44%. The three month after the outbreak was up on average 3.08% mark. And then the six month after the outbreak, the average performance of the MSCI World Stock Index was positive by eight and a half percent. So again, I like this chart because it provides perspective. Why? Because right now at this very second on Tuesday morning, January 28th at 9.07 a.m., which is the time it is, if you and I were to turn on right now, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, the headlines, listeners, that you are going to see are going to scare you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, yep. you know, I think I want you to use this podcast as just providing some perspective. Could this turn into a full-blown epidemic that is not controllable? That's always on the table. Right. It could happen anytime. Anything's possible. Right. But looking back at all these other events, and I think the scariest one would probably be Ebola breaking out. Right. And, you know, any of those situations, you know, the stock market on average did just fine. Mm-hmm. Now, were there short-term disruptions to economic activity? Yes. But is this going to turn into the beginning of 0708? Though there is a possibility, I, in my opinion, unlikely. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Mark, I'll I think, turn it back to you. Any yeah. comments you want to add to that? No, I think it's a good it's a good chart, and it just goes by um, you know epidemic by epidemic, and shows you what the you know what 
what the impact, I guess, has been on the markets, and it hasn't been much. I mean, just to pick one out, for example, I mean, SARS, which is getting compared to mostly, I guess, with uh, this coronavirus. And again, SARS was like at the very bottom of the tech bubble, right? So the returns after SARS was uh, an epidemic, you know, the the six month return was 21 and a half percent. But again, we were at the bottom of the tech bubble and we were, you know, in a a very strong uptrending market for the next three years. Yeah. Um, So, you know, all of these things are just one time events that are just a small little piece of a much broader puzzle, I think is the best way to put it. And I don't think, you know, this is a situation where this virus um, is going to, to to take down world markets. Again, like we said, it can, but I think there's a lot more um, fear mongering out there than, than what is necessary, I guess, at this point. And that's what gets the headlines. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Us with a with a calm, calm tone doesn't sell newspapers. Paints a little bit. Yeah. But it paints a different picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Back to you, Mark. Um, Yeah. So, again, one of the 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 best or one of my favorites to read, as you know, Matt, is Morgan Housel. And he posts great content week after week. And he had a blog post on January 21st of 2020 called Wealth is What You Don't Spend. I already like the title. So what he does here, and I, it would take me a long time to go through all of it, so I'm just going to pick bits and pieces, but I encourage everyone to to go read this, and we'll link to this in the show notes as well. Um, he compares um, fitness and why people, even though if they're working out every single day for an hour a day, why we still have a... Um, Um, a health problem in this country? Why aren't people getting more fit, even if they're spending money to have gym memberships um, and they're working out every single day? And they compare, he compares that to people who are earning more and more money, but aren't saving anything. Um, So he compares this $30 billion fitness industry. And he says this, Exercising makes you feel like you accomplished something healthy, which can rationalize a post-workout food binge. Eating a pizza after sitting on the couch all day might bring guilt, but doing it after a jog feels like a justified treat. A lot of exercise can be offset by a lot of food, and that's what we do, and we do it because exercising gives us a moral license to eat more. I've fallen victim to this, Matt. Yeah, with if, I, if yeah, I have a, a good workout earlier in the day and it's a Friday night and we're going out to dinner with friends. Yeah, you worked hard that week. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, we all fall victim to this. Um, and he compares this to you know median family incomes rising since 1955, but the savings rate dramatically falling. Uh, so Morgan says the median family income adjusted for inflation was 29,000 in 1955. Today it's just over 63,000 at an all-time high, but half of Americans today have $0 saved for retirement. Financial well-being can't be measured by merely looking at how much you earn. The gap between what you earn and how much you avoid offsetting those earnings is the figure that matters the most. And even though the majority of Americans earn more today than ever before, it might not feel that way because the gains have been offset with higher spending. Yep. 
So the median household's real wage gains over the last half century have been spent, he says. He said the household savings rate fell by 30% during a period where median real income rose by 40%. Wow. So this is just, um, you know, I think it's just one of those things that happens naturally, right? You make more money and you increase your standard of living, right? Sure. Um, but I think it's, if you just stop and take a second, it is a easy thing to do to increase your financial position if in your life is that if you get a raise, then put one or 2% more in your 401k or move an extra hundred bucks a month or a, a week into a savings account to, to prepare for emergency expenses. Absolutely. It's just a simple thing, not complex at all that people can do to improve their financial lives. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of what I call the, the 1% rule that you and I promote, which is Every year, at a very minimum, raise your long-term savings rate by just 1% per year, right? And uh, I think that, at the basis of it, is one of the most important pieces of advice that I can give. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and Morgan goes, you can't, you can't blame people for this. Spending more when your income rises is as tempting as eating more after you exercise. It feels earned and justified, this is doubly true for spending because people's lifestyle expectations are driven by their peers. When everyone spends more, you feel entitled to spend more. And the last thing I want to point out that he ends with um, is this. Everything has a price and prices aren't always clear. The price of exercise isn't just the workout. It's avoiding the post-workout appetite. Same in finance. The price of building wealth isn't just the trouble of earning money. It's avoiding the post earnings urge to spend what you've accumulated. That's great, great advice. Yeah, I th this is my favorite article of the year that I think I've I've read, Matt. So yeah. I really encourage everyone to go to go check this article out. Again, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but a real, real good, simple Love comparison it. that I think everyone can relate to, kind of to simplify things why you know the average American isn't prepared for retirement these days. I love it. Uh, moving on to another one of our favorites, Matt, a tweet from uh, our friend Douglas Boneparth on um, January 26th of this year. Just thought this was kind of cool. He said, people will invest hours worrying about a virus they have zero control over, but invest zero hours in taking control of their financial lives. It's kind of on the same spectrum of your prior comment, right? Just in a different optic. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, I think the other statistic I heard is, you know, people spend more time in a given year planning their vacations than they do planning their retirement. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's um, and I don't I don't I don't put blame on people for that. And I'm not, you know, wagging fingers at people for that. I think it's just, you know, us in our positions and our industry in general, I think, could do a better job of being more upfront with people about this stuff, especially younger people, yeah. um, because it's much easier to do these things over a period of 30 or 40 years than it is a period of 10 or 15 years, even perfectly said, you know, perfectly so, said. So I just, I, I like that from Doug uh, earlier this week. Uh, turn it back to you. So there was a tweet, uh, Mark, and this is my last one before the financial planning topic of the week. Um, and this is from Ryan Dedrick, I'm going to get that right, on January 25th. 
It's a post that showed a chart uh, that every time the S&P 500 closed above its 10-day moving average for the first 15 days of a new year, okay? And the chart shows that 11 out of 12 years this occurred, the S&P was positive by year end. So this was this occurred obviously at the beginning here of 2020. And just want to throw out there that in these other instances, so there were 12, um, one was just negative, and that was 2018. Right. Okay. That's what you remember. So we remember that. Um, but besides that, the average over those 12 occurrences, including the negative one of 2018, Mark, was roughly 12.5% for that year. Not bad. Just a nice statistic to throw out there. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's, it's a very interesting statistic because we've had, you know, such a strong start to the year. And, you know, obviously we got the sell off yesterday in the markets where markets, I think, ended the day down one percent or a little over one percent i think i was i wasn't in the office for the market close but yeah we had a little bit of um selling pressure right into the close you can tell like some funds are trying to meet some redemptions in my opinion is about one and a half on average yeah um i think today I, it was showing some rebounds some stability we'll see if that follows through and again my comments from earlier i think and this is my opinion the market's not paying attention as much to what's going on in china to what's going on with the potential spread through the world. And some of the news I'm hearing is that, you know, this could be delayed up to 10 days before people start to show symptoms. And I'm not a, an expert in this. Yeah. yeah but I what I will mind. say is that everyone's watching outside China to see that. I think the developed world has good ways of containing and quarantining people. And that's just another reason why, you know, I think if people could just look out past the next several weeks, I think there'll be limited impact my opinion, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. There's a chance it could get worse. I want to be very clear about that. Mm -hmm. But my two cents. Yeah. No, I think that's great. So moving on to the financial planning topic of the week, we kind of previewed this last week um, in our episode. This but is going to be great, Mark. Yeah, yeah, this is good. This is good. I like this stuff. So um, there was an article on the, in the Wall Street Journal that I briefly mentioned last week on January 23rd by Anna Marie Andritis titled, FICO Changes Could Lower Your Credit Score. So every few years, it seems, Matt, FICO updates how they calculate credit scores to keep up with the ever-changing American consumer um, every couple of years and their borrowing habits. So the FICO score calculations were last updated in 2014. And to my understanding, it generally made it easier for people to increase their credit scores, thus making it easier for people to qualify for loans. So FICO is now tightening its standards, which could cause people um, to have their credit scores drop. So I thought just before getting into this article, just taking this right from the actual FICO website, Matt, All right. I just want to go over just briefly how FICO scores and credit scores are, are calculated. I love it. Okay. Okay, let's do it. So payment history is the highest weighting at 35%. And this looks at whether you've been paying your credit accounts on time, right? So your mm -hmm. credit card bills, your mortgage payments. Um, back in 2014, I believe utility payments were, were calculated into this as well. So simply, if you're paying your bills on time, right? Okay, that's 35% weighting. 35%. Um, the second factor is your amounts owned, or excuse me, your amounts owed, which is 30%. 
So this is also known as your credit utilization rate. So if you're using a lot of your available credit all at once, lenders could see you as overextended and a higher risk of not paying back this credit that you're borrowing. So that's a 30% weighting is credit usage utilization. That's right. That's right. And there's two ways to lower credit utilization, right, Matt? One is pay down debt or two is increase your available credit, right? So an option for people that I think a lot of people don't do a lot of the time is just calling your bank or your credit card company and asking them to increase your credit limit. You know, sometimes if you've been a long time customer, you know, they'll go ahead and do it for you. So that's one way that people can, you know, potentially increase their credit scores is just to increase their credit. Now it might not get accepted all the time, but the worst they can say is no. And it could take a five minute phone call. Good idea. I like it. Number three is the length of your credit history, which is 15%. And obviously, the longer, the better. Uh, New credit is 10%. So opening several accounts in a short amount of time shows greater risk to lenders that you need more capital. Um, So I would probably recommend not to try to open a bunch of different credit accounts all at once. And the last portion of this is credit mix, which is also 10%. So this considers credit cards, mortgage, utilities, installment loans, et cetera. Um, you know, so just like it is to have a, a diverse investment portfolio, it's good to have a diverse um, credit portfolio as well. Got it. Okay. So moving on to the actual article from the Wall Street Journal, um, they start out by saying this. Creator of FICO scores will soon start scoring consumers with rising debt levels and those who fall behind on loan payments more harshly. It will also flag certain consumers who sign up for personal loans, a category of unsecured debt that has surged in recent years. So again, I read this, Matt, as credit utilization is going to be scored higher here. Okay. Okay. Which is currently at 30%. Which is currently 30%. Got it. Yes. Uh, They go on to say that the changes will create a bigger gap between consumers deemed to be good and bad credit. Uh, The company says consumers with already high FICO scores of about 680 or higher who continue to manage loans well will likely get a higher score than under previous FICO versions. Those with already low scores below 600 who continue to miss payments or accumulate other black marks will experience bigger score declines than under previous models. So I think this is why it's so important to make sure you're paying your bills on time, Matt. And the easiest thing to do this, I think we talked about it last week too, is just to set up auto pay to avoid this. Yeah. Even if it's a minimum auto pay, right? Minimum payment. Yeah. Yeah. Just to make sure you're paying something. That's one easy, easy way that if people just take an hour or two hours out of one of their weekends just to go through all of their accounts and make sure that auto pay is set up. That's one way right there to know that your credit score is not going to decrease from that. I agree. Yep. Um, Another point I wanted to make is they say consumer debts are at record highs with many Americans forced to rely on debt to help fund their everyday lives. And again, going back to what we talked about before, I think this is not a great way to look at it from a debt perspective. I think you have to look at it from a debt to income ratio, um, because just looking at it from a debt perspective skews people's thinking. Um, Also, not all debt is bad, Matt, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a negative connotation associated with that. And I think generally we can say the less debt, the better. But maybe a good 
podcast topic or financial planning topic of the week here in the next couple of weeks would be to go over good debt and bad debt. I would agree. Um, I think it'd be good for one. people. I think I have a couple articles in mind that we can discuss that might give or shed some more light on some of that. No, I think the listeners would love that. So continuing on, one of the new versions called FICO 10T will place a greater weight on recently missed payments. Again, going back to the auto pay thing. Consumers who fall behind or stop paying their debts are likely to see their credit scores fall more with this model. Those who whose last delinquency is at least a year old could see an improvement in their scores. Okay. Okay. Consumers who previously paid their credit card bills in full but shift to carrying growing balances for several months will likely end up with a lower score. Interesting. On, yeah. On the other hand, consumers who tend to increase credit card debt during a specific month each year and then pay it off quickly will likely experience a small drop in their credit scores than they do now. Huh. So I'm seeing tightening harder, scores down, banks able to charge more interest. That's kind of what I'm seeing here. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that they're probably I don't know, this is my opinion and I don't I don't know how, you know, these credit companies work, but I feel like they're feeling pressure to tighten up to make sure something like a 2007 2008 doesn't happen again just because we're you know in that period where you know that was uh, uh, 10 over 10 years ago now mm -hmm. and they don't want to get slapped with um you know the designation of being uh not a part the, of any a, bubble a part of any bubble yeah, yeah not not the main cause of it but um just a a a What's the word I'm looking for? What's who's someone uh, that's like part in a crime? They didn't really commit the crime, but they were. Uh, they were. Uh, I know what you're talking about. The word's about. escaping me. That's <laughs> right. It's early I had in such Tuesday a good morning. line set up for it, and I just blew it. <laughs> um, but yeah, an accomplice to it. Yes. Accomplice to it. That's what I was thinking of. So I think that that's probably where this is 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 coming from. But again, they they do update these things every couple of years, so yeah. it makes sense that they're making another adjustment right now. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, maybe in the next recession, maybe they'll do the opposite of this. Yeah, and loosen things up again. But I think what a lot of people don't realize with credit and credit scores, Matt, is that what they're doing today and how they're managing their credit accounts today will have an impact on when they go to get a larger loan in the future for say a car or a house. Yeah. So a little thing such as, Oh, I missed a, I missed a utility payment or I missed one credit card payment here. Doesn't seem like that much of an impact, but really down the road, especially if those things add up, you know, you could be paying a much higher rate on, on your interest rate for your mortgage. If that's what you want to do is to, to buy a home in, in three or four years. And that's why it matters. That's why it really matters. I so. agree. Small things, baby steps. I love the uh, the topic this week. Good good work there, Mark. Yeah. Um, anything else, Matt, before we wrap up for this week? I do not, sir. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody, uh, for listening to the 31st episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Um, hope you found this uh, episode um, entertaining and informational. And as always, send us your thoughts and questions and things you want to hear discussed on this podcast, because, again, we want to make this uh, for the listeners. So uh, until next week, uh, everyone have a fun and safe rest of the week and weekend. We'll see you next week, listeners. 
Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.